Welcome to today's edition of the Paul List Comics and Culture Podcast. Every day I pick a comic and then I provide some analysis, discussion, and critical engagement. I'm Tu Ply on Twitter at T-W-O-P-L-A-I. My perspective is as a cultural critic, academic, and a teacher and preacher. So I try to be analytical since sometimes I get philosophical, sometimes I get a little spiritual. Well, since I do analysis of a comic's work each day for about 20 minutes, I do get into the details. So I always suggest that you read the work first, whether you buy it from your local retailer or digitally. Yes, that's a lightweight spoiler warning. All right, let's dig deep. Hey, it's Saturday, July 9th. Um, that means it's time for our Saturday Super Friend. And our Super Friend today is the Super Friend. It's Superman number two, written by um, <laughs> Pete Tomasi, art by Patrick Gleason, inked by Mick Gray. Um, just a couple of podcast updates. First, we're on iTunes. It happened. All right. Um, you can search me at The Paul List um, under the arts section. And if you are listening, um, if you are one of the uh, folks that SoundCloud tells me has been playing this podcast 91 times, has played this podcast one of the 91 times, I think probably 70 of those are me playing it myself. Uh, (laughs) uh, Would you do me a favor and find me on iTunes and rate and review it? Um, It would be great to get feedback. It would be great to to hear from you. It would also be um, helpful in terms of the podcast actually getting out there. Um, I'm actually a little ambivalent about the idea of the podcast getting out there. Um, If you're listening, you hear my insecurities about doing this all the time. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get better at cutting down my ums. I know that episode to episode, depending on the time of day that I'm recording and my mood, I sound radically different. Uh, I'm not a professional (laughs) when it comes to this podcasting business, but I am learning and it just has been great fun for me. I think today's going to be great fun. Um, It is our Saturday Super Friend when we cover a DC book. I'm talking about Superman number two primarily because of the art, but I want to talk about why the art works so well for me in terms of what this book is trying to do. So, of course, I'm going to describe what the book is is trying to do. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about DC's um, house style of art, uh, a house style which is increasingly being... I think um, defied even as other artists continue to um, to, to utilize it. Uh, there's a so house style, if you don't know, is basically an artistic style that, to a greater or lesser degree, a publishing company or line wants the artists to adhere to to um, to at least to hew towards. Um, to some degree, so that there's a sense that the characters live in a common universe, a sense that the stories are um, part of the same uh, continuity. And um, whether or not Marvel or DC have enforced or encouraged or you know hired and assigned books to artists based on some sense of a house style has waxed and waned during different eras. I think that uh, DC has more recently uh, let loose the their their tightness of house style um although not to the degree that marvel has marvel i think has invited uh, much more range in their art and uh, i think that's been fruitful for marvel um if you think of the work of artists such as david aha on hawkeye 
quite revolutionary and different um, to the kind of art that um, has been embraced in books like uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. And um, really, it's actually harder to think of a Marvel artist who draws like what used to be their house style 10 or 20 years ago than it is to um, think of somebody who is in some way a deviation. And I think uh, Marvel has convincingly shown that it all fits. It all fits together really well. Miss um, Marvel looks a little funny in the all-new, all-different Avengers sometimes, as does Squirrel Girl in uh, other books. Um, Sp uh, Spider-Gwen doesn't quite look as cool under another um, set of artists' brush or whatever. Um, but they manage it. They pull it off. I think DC is beginning to see the power in that. And of course, of course, of course, you know, how style has never been uniformly enforced. You can always read the differences and in individuality in artists. And oftentimes, for especially for certain titles, the the kind of uh, different art styles is, is is very often welcomed by big two. And yet, uh, you'll often see, for instance, in the big event books, um, or those titles that are thought of as the the central titles uh, often have um, exhibit the kind of house style. Um, I think one thing really interesting about DC's house style is if you tried to trace, and you know, so much of this is hyper subjective. I'm going to try to be as specific and detailed as I can in talking about these things, um, but some of it is just actually and. I'll try to um, point out where this is true for me, is a very subjective response that's a matter of associations and what you happen to see and what you happen to like and the time that you happen to see it. Um, and so I think the, our, our tastes and sensibilities, some of it has reason and some of it is just, you know, most of the time we can't even tease out what it is. We look at a couple of pages of comic art and we say, I like that or I don't like that. And sometimes it's, you know, two different opinions from two different people about the same work. So, um, uh, back to the DC house style. It's interesting to think about where it comes from. Um, I think that there's always some artists and some books who manage to define um, what uh, a company's house style winds up looking like. Um, artists who become somewhat emblematic because of their role in certain books. And in DC in the last few years, I think there have been a number of artists. Um, it's really no small thing that Jim Lee, who of course first made his bones as a Marvel artist uh, doing the X-Men, uh, and then eventually jumped over to Image, started Wildstorm, and then um, you know found his way to DC now as a, I forget his role, some huge executive role, creative, you know, director or something or other. But um, Jim Lee's uh, and Wildstorm's influence on DC house style is, is really significant. Um, and I think that that house style is demonstrated in um, a couple, a handful of, a couple handfuls of artists, I would say, that um, during times when, for instance, Green Lantern was at, at uh, that world's, that sort of DC subworld's peak popularity. Um, those artists were represented there. Um, I'm thinking of Ivan Rice, Ethan Van Skyver. Um, and then I think they're actually best, um, they're actually well summed up in the DC Rebirth um, book, the sort of lengthy Jeff Johns written um, 
uh, reboot, soft reboot of the DC Universe book that was that was uh, written by Jeff Johns, as I said, and and with art by a number of artists, including Van Skyver, including Rice, and also uh, Gary Frank and Phil Jimenez, um, two more artists who, again, are distinct in in many ways, but um, bear the markings of that DC house style. Now, um, full disclosure, I'm not too fond of that style. Um, I tend to be attracted to other stuff that um, artists do. Uh, I've thought about why, and um, I, I, again, own up to the the idea that this is a very subjective choice um, or a subjective impression. In fact, um, sometimes I occasionally um, do a little book club with my brother um, and a few other people, but my brother and I have you know, talked about um, podcasting before together, and uh, maybe one day we'll bring my brother into to the Paul list here. Um, but the funny thing is we're both comics fans, but we actually wind up having quite opposite tastes. And this is one of the points of major points of departure for us, is that he's a huge fan of, uh, he likes this kind of uh, art style, this Ethan Van Skyver, you know, DC house style of the last decade. And uh, I just, I, I feel a little distanced from it. I feel a little cold. Um, it's not that I don't respect the artistry or what what those artists do. I think it um, has always appealed to me more to um, to utilize that gift of cartooning where some adherence to realism uh, is unnecessary. All right, so actually I'll get into that in a little bit. So I just... I guess um, the the main thing that I want to say today is that what's going on in Superman in this title, and I'm going to talk about the first and second issues. I, there won't be too many plot spoilers because I, like I said, I'm going to talk a lot about the art, but um, but if there'll be a few, so it might be good for. And, and since I'm talking about the art, you probably want to pick up and look at the books anyway. If you're listening to this, um, it's up to you. You don't have to. <laughs> um, the artist is Patrick Gleason. And Patrick Gleason has worked with Pete Tomasi. He, Gleason's a younger artist. Tomasi's been around for, for quite some time. Um, and uh, I I love the art. Uh, I'll say that up front. I love the art in Superman, too. I think it's perfect for what they're doing right now in the story. Um, I have enjoyed Pat Gleason's art uh, elsewhere. In fact, in one of those books that I alluded to in the, before about the, the, um, the, the DC house style, um, the Green Lantern, uh, there was a, um, I have an absolute edition of the uh, Sinestro War, Core, Sinestro Core War, uh, <laughs> written by Jeff Johns, um, mostly, I think, and with art by uh, Ethan Van Skyver and Ivan Rice, and um, uh, I think s- many others. But um, that, that, you know, event, that Green Lantern event that went across several DC books, several Green Lantern books, um, uh, I think heavily featured the art style. I mean, this was a very popular book at that time. And it uh, it really kind of demonstrates a lot about that style. Well, one of the artists in that book, and I can't remember which of the specific books in the Green Lantern line he was drawing, was Patrick Leeson. And I remember reading it and just, again, uh, knowing that this was an important and um you know, well-received and popular story, and therefore being invested in it to some extent. But 
again, feeling a little cold and a little distanced from that art. Um, no, you know, other people loved it, appreciated it. I would say out of those artists, um, you know, Ivan Rice is, um, has a certain knack for a cleanness in that work, um, that I really love. Phil Jimenez is also, I, I love Phil Jimenez. I I'm really feel bad because I feel like that leaves Ethan Van Skyver for some sort of, uh, as some sort of victim of my distaste. I, I, I'll say that, uh, he's actually seems like an incredibly nice man in interviews that I've heard and a very hardworking artist, um, who gets a lot of guff for being late, but who, uh, is late because he's meticulous. Uh, I would even, I will even say, go far so far as to say that that meticulousness is something that you can, uh, really respect. But, um, well, I'll get into some of the detail. As I looked at that um, Sinestro Corps War book, I couldn't help but contrast Patrick Gleason's art with the other art with the other artists that I just named, and I think that contrast stuck with me. So that when Gleason went on to draw other books, I kept noticing that and kept finding myself um, drawn to what he does and thinking a lot about why it was that I was drawn to that in, and not to the other artists quite so much. Um, I mean, one reason is that, like I said, many of these artists are in um, the lineage of not only Jim Lee, but I would say uh, Jim Lee and Jim Lee plus um, a line that goes back to Neil Adams, maybe uh, Jim Apero to some extent. Um, artists who brought in uh, the, uh, I would say the Bronze Age a kind of grittiness that matched with the shift in the subject matter of superhero comics to more realism, a little bit more darkness, and all of that necessitated, um, I think, a, a, a much more realistically drawn, almost sinewy character to the art. Um, I know that a lot of um, fans of Neil Adams and, and his like would uh, be aghast that I was comparing him to Jim Lee, and maybe vice versa as well. Uh, they all have things that are very cool and, and quite revolutionary about their work. But I would say that that vein, kind of that thread of art, comes together to become sort of what is now DC House art. Uh, some characteristics of it are that um, I think that there's quite a lot of use of, um, uh, you know, this was something I noticed even as a kid, actually, reading your Jim Lees and your Wills Portacios and your even your Rob Liefelds was how much there was um, cross hatching and stippling, a kind of stippling going on, uh, a very specific kind of stippling. And if you don't know what those are, those are techniques um, sometimes in pencil, but but mostly in inking, where you know you use the line of the pen uh, or the nib or the you know whatever even the brush or whatever you're using. Cross hatching is the sort of like the um, checkered you know the X. X's sort of thing, and stippling being uh, dots of various sizes, um, you know, drawn together, whether in some kind of uniform pattern or less uniform to convey different things. And um, there's quite a lot of that going on. And one of the reasons was that it seemed as though a lot of these artists were using, um, especially when they inked, they were using um, the kind of pen that uh, an architect or an engineer might use, uh, a sort of thinner lined pen and really kind of a profusion of lines and many of them very purposeful but some of them almost um decorative uh you know placed in a, you know there there were artists who 
went overboard with it and pretty soon you started to sniff out that they uh they didn't know as well what they were doing uh jim lee and company had a finer control and an ability to um put those lines and put those little uh, cross hatches and stipples in the places where they would um look cool <laughs> and um but the, but primarily we were dealing with almost a single line weight um you know a pretty thin kind of line that um, because you had to do so much construction with the line with um, you know multiple strokes and uh, sometimes uh, you know a lot of extra marks you could say there was something that felt all, always a little bit anxious always to me a little bit uh, gaunt about that uh, that kind of art and um, and there was something too about the way that um, faces and figures were drawn very angular um, the eyes were often a sing, you know, sort of a, 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 sli a single horizontal line, almost a sliver, and uh, it looked cool in the sense that it looked like, um, you know, Jim Lee art. Um, but it always looked cool and sort sort of mechanical. It looked cool and sort of um, uh, Terminator. <laughs> It was, and for me, that felt very distancing. Not to mention that a lot of times I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on in those stories. Um, in the Jim Lee era, I was actually a, a Todd McFarlane fan, and I think that says something about the kind of artistic, um, you know, preferences and lineage that um, that I had. Um, so <laughs> to come back to Superman too, I should have done this earlier. I'm doing this all in the wrong order and I'm trying to hold myself to my 20 minute time limit, which is running out quick. Uh, uh Superman, what, uh, what's going on right now is that, um, the new 52 is just era has sort of just ended, uh, with this rebirth where they're, they're keeping the new 52 in large part as the universe, but there's, they're bringing back a whole lot of the pre new 52 stuff. Um, and maybe most significantly uh, in the storyline that, that wrapped up the New 52 for the Superman books, Superman of the New 52 uh, died. And uh, in fact, in Superman number one, you see Clark Kent at the, at the grave of the New 52 Superman. Now, which Clark Kent is this? Well, it's actually the pre-52 uh, Superman who was married to Lois, who um, has a son, Jonathan, and uh, it has been secretly in this universe somehow found his way there. I think this is because of the events of Convergence, another huge story that mostly featured DC House style artists with events that I could not decipher, uh, despite my near PhD. Um, and um, uh, in Convergence, somehow the pre-52 Superman and his family were brought into the new 52 universe, the world. And so knowing that he's a sort of a, a replica, he's a duplicate because the new 52 Superman is still flying around doing his thing and not being with Lois Lane and uh, whatever else was going on in the, that, that crazy storyline in Superman. Um, there was a, a miniseries um, written by, I think written by Dan Jurgens, if I'm correct. Um, it was a, called Lois and Clark. And uh, it was actually a really nice, a really good eight issue series that went on last year that kind of introduced this character, which was a kind of a reintroduction of the pre-52 Superman. And of course, this is the post-crisis 
you know, the Superman of Doomsday and, and the death of Superman and, uh, and return of, the, of Superman and so forth. There's a lot of deaths and returns. And I think a lot of that story is being alluded to right now in, in what's going on in the Superman books. But anyway, uh, long story short, the old Superman has come back and he's come back with a family. And so what's happening in this new Superman book in the first two issues um, is that Lois and Clark are taking, in some senses, a more public role of deciding that he's going to be the Superman since the other Superman has died. He needs to stand in. But meanwhile, their son, Jonathan, who is, I don't know, eight, ten, is discovering his powers. And as he's discovering his powers, um, uh, Superman, uh, Clark and Lois Smith, <laughs> as they've named, renamed themselves and you know moved to a new place. Um, Clark and Lois are trying to figure out how to guide their you know their young son in handling a secret identity, in um, handling his new powers, and in really becoming now involved in in the superheroing that his father is doing as his father brings him along. Um, so it's it's great. It's it's family stuff, and I'm a sucker for family stuff. There's some beautiful father and son son stuff. In the first book, there's a page of just um, you know Superman is saving animals from uh, sort of Clark with uh, revealing the S on his chest is saving animals in their farm, and uh, then there's a full page uh, uh, splash, if you can call it that, of um, of Jonathan you know, with uh, sort of leaning against his windowsill, looking out with just total sweet admiration at his father, um, at his father, Superman. <laughs> and there's this um, look in his eye, and there's this um, awe and this joy in, in what he sees that um, that page is priceless. Um, it's it's great. And so I love, oh, and he's he's giving a thumbs up, and he's got this awesome smile on his face. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I, I'm into this. I love it. And I keep thinking, what is it about Pat Gleason's art that seems so fitting for this family story? Um, you know, this artist who was doing Green Lantern books at one point. Um, I should say that the last thing that Gleason was working on was that he was the artist and with Mick Gray, who, which is significant uh, about what some of the things I'm going to say about his art in the um, series Robin, Son of Batman, uh, which, you know, I didn't actually hear a lot of publicity about, but um, some of the guys at Multiversity, um, specifically Mike Romeo, who's an editor there, but one of the two guys at Robots from Tomorrow, um, talked talked passionately about this book and got me into it, actually. And uh, I loved it. I loved Robin, Son of Batman. Uh, I was only disappointed when eventually Pat Gleason wasn't, uh, wasn't the primary artist. Um, but I think especially the first arc of that series um, is just golden. And a lot of it I chalk up to what Gleason does, especially with these kids. You know, he's got Damien in that book. And now in this book, he has Jonathan and um, Jonathan Kent Smith, whatever, Superman and Lois, Lois's kid. Um, so what is it about his art? Well, I mentioned before that in the house style, there's um, this sort of um, singular line weight that um, has to get busy doing a lot of work. Uh, but I think a lot of comics artists um, make use of the variety of line weight uh, oftentimes to 
accomplish a lot. One of the things that it, it accomplishes is what some artists call the, the, a line of contention, which is basically demarcating figures. Um, here's where this character is, and here's where that character is. And sometimes you'll see this with different artists. Like some artists will, you know, demarcate the distinguish. You know, there's a picture in here, for instance, of of the three uh, Lois Clark and um, and uh, Jonathan in one panel. And Lois and Clark, Lois is kind of nuzzling up to Clark's neck. And uh, that could look like a two-headed monster, <laughs> but it, they're separated from each other by a good dose of shadow and also a certain wider, thicker line that's surrounding uh, Clark's face, um, his head, so that you can distinguish the characters. Some work is done by the coloring as well. But you kind of get the picture that... Um, sometimes the, the, the wider line weight uh, does something to the art. Um, it's a little bit hard to describe. I think often of Mike Allred when I talk about line weights because uh, he does quite a lot of this work with the, uh, I don't think he calls it this, but the line of contention, basically the outline around the, the characters, uh, his lines, his line weights that outline the characters are quite thick. And it almost gives it sort of a pop art, um, maybe uh uh, art Deco-ish um, appeal. Uh, it's something that is sort of used as a kind of visual shorthand in a lot of animation. And so when we see it in comics, um, in contrast to, I think, what the house style often does, uh, it becomes a kind of visual shorthand that reminds us of what animation, what goes on with animation. Um, and so that really is not the only thing in Gleason's art that, that reminds me of animation reminds us of animation. Uh, the next thing that I, you know, sort of, it sort of um, jumps out at me is, uh, is the way that he um, draws eyes. And those eyes are, you know, partly because he's drawn kids in Robinson of Batman and here with Jonathan Kent. They're bigger. Um, and, uh, and they also, he makes use of the, you know, artists draw the little reflection in the in the char in character's eyes um, in the pupils to give it the sense that they're glistening and real. I think without that, it often, you know, the pupils look dead. Um, and humans are super hyper-trained to focus on faces because evolutionarily or whatever, that's what we look at. And um, the subtleties of faces are uh, quite important to comics art. And, uh, and there's so much that gets to be done when you exaggerate the proportions so that the eyes which we read so intently can be so large and uh, Gleason often does something that I call the Gleason glisten which is to not put just one reflection but multiple in the eye in fact um, that page that I was uh, talking about earlier with Jonathan you know he's he's there's reason for it he's looking out at his father and there's a fire in the barn and so there's plenty of reason for lots of light stuff to be going on but there's probably like it looks like five or six glistens, four glistens in each pupil. And it just adds so much of this, the sense of wonder that I was talking about. I, when we see eyes glisten, it's almost as if there's a layer of tear over them. And uh, it just makes them, makes characters emotive and human in certain ways, passionate in certain ways that Gleason takes uh, quite a lot of advantage of. Um, in contrast, again, to that house style art, which often doesn't have eyes big enough to even see that. Um, even in Superman, whose eyes are smaller, um, maybe proportional to the adult eye in this kind of uh, figure work, um, there's, there's, that, there's always that 
certain amount of blue and that certain amount of glisten. And I think that goes a very long way in um, removing what I was talking about before, the sense of distance from the characters. In fact, you, you almost can uh, feel like you get up close. Um, it's sort of reminiscent in a very subtle and intertextual, inter-image way with um, so much of the animation that we grew up on. And, and I, I think, again, that's where so much of this is subjective. It's a matter of having grown up on comics with um, big-eyed characters that I related to and connected with, um, be it uh, Goku in Dragon Ball or, um, uh, you know, your, your cartoon characters. And, and maybe these days it's kids with Pixar movies whose proportions um, Gleason's art is more like. Uh, I have more to say about the proportions. I think that there's also a lot because of the way that he draws figures in contrast to the DC house style that makes them a little bit edge closer on the scale to what goes on in, in most animation. Um, namely that um, if you look at an artist like uh, Ethan Van Skyver or Ivan Rice, the musculature on the superheroes is um, anatomical, I'd say, almost to a fault. There's just muscles that I don't feel like I need to know uh, that um, distinguish themselves. Uh, and it, I think it looks cool and it looks real. And I think um, people like my brother, <laughs> sorry, bro, um, people like my brother will look at it and just kind of be like, uh, yeah, that looks cool. Uh, but but I just, I, I can't do it. it. All those muscles make me feel uh, um, like I can't approach you. Um, I think Gleason has, you know, six packs on his characters and stuff like that. But there's actually more of the kind of exaggerated uh, proportions, you know, not quite there, but a little bit bending a little bit more to the Bruce Tim, you know, uh, of, you know, Batman the Animated Series or, or, or your Darwin Cook kind of scale of proportion. Actually, more like what um, artists like um, Chris Somney or Doc Shaner, uh, who, you know, many of whom are, are sort of in the legacy of Alex Toth, um, who did a lot of work in animation, by the way, um, capture, which is that, okay, and here's the point. Having a looseness with the um, musculature allows you instead to draw from armature of figures rather than having to be slavishly um, anatomical. Alright, so what do I mean by armature? I mean, you know, when you watch animators sometimes, you'll know that they're dealing, they deal with shapes, you know, like a, a character, like, um, uh, we'll say, like a Pixar character um, in uh, the, the Incredibles, you know, the, the, the father's a certain kind of triangle and the Jack-Jack is a certain kind of long skinny rectangle with moving legs, you know, it's shapes more than, more than some fidelity to uh, you know, an anatomically possible human figure. And then you bend those shapes and bending those shapes gives a kind of dynamism that is, um, that you can carefully proportion and tune and, um, and manipulate so that there's a kind of almost bendy, uh, liveliness to them. Um, and I think this is what, this is the kind of thing that you know, Bruce Tim, Darwin Cook style does really, really well in a, in a very iconic fashion. Um, and that artists like Shaner and Somni and, and I think Gleason also take advantage of. Um, we're not as concerned with um, being anatomical as we are with being iconic. Uh, and I think that um, so many of the characters in Superman 1 and 2 um, 
and really throughout his art, but I think it's he's bent this way more and more as time has gone on. And he does this also with creatures that he creates, which um, is a big part of uh, Robinson and Batman. Uh, but Kathy, the character, if you've read the book, and, and his father, uh, and her father, sorry, um, as well as, uh, you know, Lois Clark and, and, um, and Jonathan kind of fit into that. And so um, uh, I think that there's, um, you know, much more to say, something about the, the, the use of chunks of black. It's kind of related to the line weight thing. Chunks of, of, of black that are used. Uh, often with the edges of those of those chunks of black softened with ridges and with lines, but but these solid chunks of black, that again are more impressionistic, um, and um, to me overall accomplish lend um, this effect, uh, along with the huge square chins, the square jaws, uh, and as well as the um, the uh, little tongue sticking up sometimes that when it, when somebody looks excited or eager. Um, but and of course that Gleason Glisten. I think overall it combines to give me a sense that I can enter into the familiness of this drama, um, of this story, um, because uh, these aren't cool, uh, distant heroes. These are iconic um, archetypes of something that's very near and precious, ideals that are near and precious to me. Uh, that is, I think, something that the late Darwin Cook just captured in DC art uh, marvelously. Um, Gleason's got his own version of it, and uh, and I love it. Uh, I'm way over time again, and I'm going to work on that, <laughs> um, on my concision. I probably spent uh, way too much time in the first 10 minutes talking about DC house style. Uh, anyway, um, thanks for listening. Um, keep on reading and uh, tell folks you know about this podcast who might be into it. Um, thanks. <laughs>